It was coming up to Christmas, and Sammy asked his mom if he could have a new bike. So she told him that the best idea would be to write to Santa Claus. But Sammy, having just played a vital role in a school nativity play, said he would prefer to write to the baby Jesus. So his mom told him that would be fine. Sam went home to his room and wrote, Dear Jesus, I've been a very good boy and would like to have a bike for Christmas. But he wasn't very happy when he read it over, so he decided to try again. And this time he wrote, Dear Jesus, I'm a good boy most of the time and would like a bike for Christmas. He read it back and it wasn't happy with that one either. And he tried a third version. Dear Jesus, I could be a good boy if I tried hard. And if especially I had a new bike. (laughs) He read that one too, but still wasn't satisfied. So he decided to go out for a walk. And while he thought about a better approach, after a short time, he passed a house with a small statue of the Virgin Mary in the front garden. He crept in, stuffed it under his coat, hurried home and hid it under his bed. And then he wrote this letter. Dear Jesus, if you want to see your mother again, you'd better send me a new bike. (laughs) I have read a lot of funny stories and seen a lot of humorous Christmas jokes these past weeks. And it is a season for joy, and it is a season for celebration. But for Christians, it is also a serious time to remember what Jesus' first coming ultimately means to you and I. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. I want us as a church, as Grace Church, to... sports expression. I want us to up our game when it comes to our love and appreciation for the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, the incarnation of Christ. Because the incarnation is the beginning of all that we sing about on a Sunday morning. We, we quickly sing about the cross of Christ. We sing about all that God has done through Jesus' death, his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. A death that was necessary, an atoning work that was necessary because of our rebellion and our rejection of God. And as we consider the incarnation, I don't want us to move quickly past that to the end Game, the end result of Christ's death and resurrection. Because the incarnation plays that crucial role. I was watching recently another one of these sports programs that I happened to catch. And I, it, it's, it's just super weird things that happened during major events. And what was the most weird and almost sadly humorous one was a marathon where you see this guy and they, this guy didn't know he was being filmed, but the marathon started and he got in a car and rode to the last mile of the marathon and then got out and ran and won the marathon thinking he had won until 
the film was shown of him getting in the car and getting out of the car. That's not the incarnation. Jesus didn't start a mile before the finish line. He started at the very beginning. And that beginning was his willingness to condescend, to leave the throne of heaven, to leave the glory of heaven, to become a human being, to leave the perfection of heaven and enter a sin-scarred, broken, ugly, defeated, dark world out of the love his Father had for his creation. That's why he came. The King has come. Jesus has come. And he will come again. He purchased our hope with his blood. His first coming, which we are calling the first advent, the advent season. The word advent simply means arrival or coming. And that's what we are celebrating. And last week, we we began talking about the advent from the Old Testament. This first advent is what changed our lives. Now, the second advent will change our lives, but there would be no second advent if there was not a first advent. The initial coming, the initial God becoming man, which led to Christ dying and purchasing our salvation. This season is a time for remembering and rejoicing It's a time to remember what Jesus and his coming has done for us. He began at not the finish line, but the start line. And that start was the birth. Last week, as we began our Advent series in Isaiah 9, as Isaiah prophetically describes the meaning of Advent, where God fulfills his promise to keep his covenant with the nation of Israel by sending a redeemer, a savior, a son. We read Isaiah 9 together, just a a few short verses where Isaiah is prophesying in a season that is so dark. And he prophesies in in verse 6 of chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore. And here are the words of this prophecy that end this prophecy that I think are the most encouraging words about the incarnation ever. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. God is passionate about doing this. 
God is passionate. He was passionate about sending Christ, about the incarnation. And he is as passionate about the incarnation and he is as about the ascension and the return of Christ. He was passionate about the gospel. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We are jumping ahead from Isaiah 9 to Luke chapter 1, which is a leap of about 700 years. We're jumping ahead seven centuries. Isaiah's words, as we read them, because we are able to look back as believers to the Old Testament, understand when, when, when Isaiah was written and those words were read by the, the, the Jews afterwards, there was no New Testament. There was no filling in the holes. There was no explanation about what, what the Isaiah was saying. It was a bit mysterious. It's kind of like the game of Clue. Colonel Mustard in the library with the lead pipe. But, but you get a few clues, but you don't get much more than that. In Isaiah, he mentions about, Isaiah talks about somehow Galilee play, plays a role in the Messiah's coming. But what role? Isaiah speaks about a child, but who is this child he speaks about? He talks about a son, but who is the son? Whose son is he? Since the son will be the king who sits on David's throne. But again, there's no name given. Who is he? There's a clue, but what does it mean? And he says the zeal of God will accomplish this. And that's encouraging and exciting, but, but how will he accomplish it? What does that look like? It, Isaiah provides a wonderful glimpse of an amazing future event, but the details are so sketchy and they won't become clear for 700 years. Think about that. 700 years. Throughout the Old Testament, the promises of God remain in the shadows. But as Isaiah prophesied, the darkness does not remain Forever. Finally, after 700 years, Luke's gospel sheds light on what has been a mystery for so very long. And let's, let's read how, and, and consider Isaiah 9 as we are reading Luke 1. Consider how Luke 1 fills in some of the mystery, some of the gaps, some of the sketchiness, some of the holes of Isaiah 9. Look with me in Luke 1, chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice some of the parallels between Isaiah and Luke. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh Lord, would you please help this church embrace this passage this morning? Lord, I, I love this church. I love these people. Lord, I want them to be impacted by your word. Lord, would you... Would you meet every person here this morning in a way particular to them that they might encounter the love and the living presence of God, their Savior? Lord, help me to speak that these words might be clear and understandable. Give life to your words through your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 1, 26 through 38 does fill in the missing details of Isaiah 9, does it not? And for those of us who have the privilege of being able to look back and see God's promises fulfilled, it it gives us reasons why we celebrate the incarnation of Christ. Reading Luke 1 in light of Isaiah 9 helps us to understand how and why to celebrate Christ's coming, the incarnation. Jesus' incarnation has brought us salvation. We know that, that we might live lives of celebration. The incarnation happened that we might experience salvation, so we might live lives of celebration. The incarnation is the beginning of the gospel. There's no gospel without the incarnation. That's where the gospel begins. The advent is a serious matter. But it happened that joy might come into the world. And that joy is designed to lead us to a life of celebrating Christ. So the question is, what what will help us rightly celebrate the incarnation? What is going to position us to rightly celebrate the incarnation in a season that tugs and pulls at us to to celebrate everything but the incarnation that that casts over us so many uh, so many things to draw our attention away from the incarnation well i i believe it's something so simple as purposefully remembering the incarnation. 
and studying and reading about the incarnation. I, I don't know about you, but I find it very hard during this season to remember all that I'm supposed to remember at this time of year. And uh, I, I just, I try to remember all the things I need to remember, whether it's the Christmas presents I need to buy or the Christmas cards we need to send or the Christmas parties I've been invited to or the things I'm supposed to bring to a Christmas party <clears throat> or, and, and, and throw that on top of that, that I have, I have been under the influence of drugs for the past four weeks due to knee surgery and, and trying to remember things. You know, Marilyn has come in the room numerous times and, and I'll say, you know, where were you? And she said, well, I was just here. I said, yeah, but you haven't been here for hours. No, sweetie, I was just here 10 minutes ago. Well, where was I? Well, <laughs> that's really the question. <laughs> and there are things at this time of season I, I, I don't want to remember. When, when I've had previous knee surgeries in the past, one of the joys of having medication is that in the pre-op room, they give you this certain medication called Versed. It's basically an amnesia drug. They, they don't want you to remember anything that happens from the time you are wheeled out of the pre-op room to you get to the operating room. You're, you're basically supposed to be vis- going down rabbit holes and, and not coming out until they let you out. And so I was looking forward to my shot of Versed, and all these people are coming in and coming out prior to surgery, and, and I, the anesthesiologist comes in, and he says, we're going to put this in, and here's a drip, and, and I'm like, well, where's the stuff that's going to make me relax? And he says, well, well you're going to get it. And so about five minutes later, somebody comes in and says, okay, it's time for surgery. It's like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Where, where's my forget-me drug? Where, where? And, and they, they wheeled me down to the operating room. And it's like, I, I'm remembering this. <laughs> I'm not supposed to remember this. And, and then, so then they get me in the room and I'm looking around and this is Georgetown University Hospital, which was built in 1802. And, and, and I'm looking around and my operating room was still functioning with things built in 1802. <clears throat> and, and I'm thinking, they're not going to use that stuff, are they? And, I, and more and more, I'm thinking, where's my anti-remembering drugs? And, and the, it's just, I don't want to remember stuff like that. The great thing about surgery was they, you pull out your arm and then they wake you up. <laughs> Memories are a funny thing. And during this season, the thing that we are most to remember, I believe, is the, is the very thing that gets most crowded out. The birth of Christ the very thing that was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ, the very thing that set in place your salvation. The birth of Christ. The promise of a loving God being fulfilled by sending His own Son with the knowledge that his own son would experience the most horrific crucifixion and death. 
and who would pay for all the sins of the world. The birth of Christ. And it is that birth that we sing joy to the world for the Lord has come. That's what we are excited about. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And we live in a day and age where much of earth has no interest in receiving her king. There are so many things that occupy our attention during this season. But remembering the incarnation, remembering the birth of Christ is for us the most important labor of love we can undertake during this time. And it's something that we must fiercely be committed to. And let me tell you why. Because when you take time to remember the birth of Christ, it makes the gospel whole. How often, other than at Christmas time, do we sing about the Incarnation? Not often. We can't sing about just half a gospel. We want to sing about the whole gospel. I want our celebration, our Christmas, to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered it must be. I want all of us to follow Luke's example in this narrative of celebrating what is most important, which is the incarnation of Christ. So, how can we do that? How can we remember the incarnation of Christ in a way that is life-changing? How can we remember the incarnation of Christ in a way that is kept before us, not just the few weeks prior to Christmas and Christmas morning when we do pull out the Luke passage and read about Jesus' birth, how do we remember the incarnation past the 25th of December? Well, first of all, let me say this. We remember the advent, the first coming of Christ by always keeping in front of us the second advent, the return of Christ. That apart from the first advent, there is no second advent. That we are waiting. We are in that that realm, that season of the now, the now of Christ. He has come and the not yet. He has not returned. And there is no just yet new Jerusalem a new earth. But three ways I think we can be encouraged to remember the incarnation. The first is remember God's faithfulness. Luke details that for us in this passage. Remember God's faithfulness. Secondly, remember God's goodness and grace is always present. Remember God's goodness and grace are always present. And thirdly, remember God's power to save. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's goodness and grace are always present. And remember God's power to save. Look at verses 26 through 28 
remembering God's faithfulness, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, we, we read over that story, but what we, must, what we must catch is that God initiated again. God sent Gabriel. God sent Gabriel. He sent a messenger, which is typical of God. Throughout the history of the Bible, we read time and time again, God sending messengers, God sending angels, God using everything and anything to get across his message. And in Luke 1, God sends an angel. He sends Gabriel. God has always been coming to us this way. He has always sent a messenger. God is always in the business of sending. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave or He sent His only Son. God faithfully sent a messenger. But God is also faithful never to abandon the promises that he has made to the people of God. Look at verse 28. And Gabriel comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. God's faithful promise I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews 13 or Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. The promise of God to never leave his people. He has always been faithful. The incarnation is about God's faithfulness. That he said he would do something. And so he does. He, he, he sets it up by sending a messenger. He sets it up by letting Mary know that he is with her. Verse 31, Luke writes, And behold, you will conceive in your rooms. Gabriel is speaking. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. There is Isaiah 9 having flesh added to it. It is becoming more clear. God is faithful. That's the first thing about the incarnation, remembering God's faithfulness. As you're reading this passage on Sunday morning or on Christmas morning, as you are singing Christmas songs, as you're opening Christmas presents, what what should be remembered more than anything as you are thanking people for the gifts that they give you, which is appropriate to do, you should be thanking God for His faithful giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember His faithfulness. Secondly, remember that in His faithfulness, remember God's goodness and grace is always there. 
There's not a day that goes by where God's grace is not evident in your life and available to your life. Now, there are days where you feel like there is no grace. There are days where it can feel like grace has totally disappeared off the scene. That's not who God is, and that's not what the Bible teaches us. Look in verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. And in the Greek, that expression, O favored one, literally means one filled with grace. Gabriel is speaking to Mary and saying, Hey, Mary, who is filled with grace? Whose grace? Mary's grace? Or the grace of God? Greetings to you, O one with grace. But she was greatly troubled in the saying and tried to discern what greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. And he repeats himself, For you have found grace. You have found favor with God. God is with her. Grace has been given to her. God is with us. When you came to Christ, when you came to have faith in Christ, when God called you and you responded to Christ and the gospel, grace came. Goodness came. The indwelling Spirit of God came to you and never has left you. The Spirit has remained in you. Oh, favored ones this morning. Oh, grace church who is favored. Oh, favored church. God is with you. God is always present with you. Not only has God been faithful to you, but God is present with you and is giving you grace day after day after day, moment after moment. Grace is so wonderful. Grace is... We... We speak of grace so often. We name the church Grace Church. But my friends, as we read in Ephesians just months ago, we cannot mine the depths of grace. All right. Another TV show that I've been watching... (laughs) The Discovery Channel. And there's these guys that I've seen on the Discovery Channel. They're Gold Rush guys. And they go to Alaska. Has anybody ever seen Gold Rush Alaska? Has anybody ever seen... Okay, good. At least some of you are honest. So I'm sure others of you are, are... Maybe some of you are packing up, heading to Alaska for the Gold Rush. But these guys spend millions of dollars and untold hours and 
experience sleeplessness day in and day out. And they work literally for an entire week running hundreds of thousands of dirt through this machine to come up with about 50 to 100 ounces of gold. So you're talking about 30,000 yards of dirt. Do you know, do you know what 30,000 yards of dirt, how much that is? Enough to cover football fields. And they run through that dirt to get a little jar of gold. That's what they're mining for. You don't have to work for grace like that. And when you, when you, Appeal as Psalm 86 says, we plead for grace. As you plead to God for grace, you don't get a little jar after hours and hours of pleading for grace. You get the unfathomable riches of Christ. You walk, <clears throat> walk away with a, not a room full of grace, not a stadium filled with grace. You walk with an infinite offer of grace to meet whatever need you have at this very moment. That's what the incarnation of Christ means. Grace has come. If you feel that you are lacking grace, read Luke chapter 1. Because Mary isn't the only one who is favored by God. Mary isn't the only one who hears, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. There isn't a person in this room if you have put your faith in Christ who has not found favor with God. And the favor you have found is the grace of God. And that grace is unfathomable. It's lavish. It's always there. Because God is always present as Luke teaches us in this narrative. That's the incarnation. That's the advent the coming of Christ. That God's faithfulness and goodness and grace are lavished upon you. That He looks upon you this very morning with favor in spite of your failings and your sins and your discouragements and your sicknesses and your sufferings and your doubts and your fears, whatever favor is yours because Christ has come. But he doesn't end there. Thirdly, not only have you been, you need to remember God's faithfulness and remember God's goodness and grace, but remember God's power to save. 
remember God's power. God's power is in the incarnation. And this is how God reveals his power in the incarnation. And he does it three times. He makes it really clear for us to get this idea that the incarnation is something from God and it is supernatural and it is powerful. And it's something that can never be achieved in this life, in all of humanity. And it is this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. The angel came to a virgin. And the virgin's name was Mary. And Mary asked the angel a question. How will this be? How will I conceive in my womb since I am a virgin? And Luke narrates this wonderful display of the love and power of God in the incarnation for the good of humanity. And the angel answered her, verse 35, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High. Remember Luke, Isaiah 9, mighty God? This is the mighty God. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. Here is the gospel on display. Only a human who is perfect and holy without the taint of sin can be the atoning sacrifice for humanity. It had to happen through a virgin. It had to happen with a holy human. And it could only happen by the power of God as the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows Mary. Christmas is about the amazing power of God. Every Christmas gift you've ever been given with batteries runs out of power. Not this one. Not this one. God's power is in the incarnation. Without the virgin birth, the gospel would have no power. The virgin birth is the beginning of the gospel. Jesus is fully human without the taint of sin. He is perfectly holy that he could be the atoning sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. He is called the Holy One. God's power will be displayed as we read on in, uh, in this. He says... Look at uh, verse 32, going back a little bit, talking about who Jesus is, who this, who this son will be who comes from the virgin birth. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Are you thinking back to Isaiah 9? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Are you thinking back to Isaiah 9? That his reign will be forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
The prophecy of Isaiah 9 is coming fulfilled in Luke's narrative here in chapter 1. All that God had promised, all that God said he would be faithful to, all that God said he would do through his power, all that God had, would do out of grace and love is done at this very moment in this child, this little baby called Jesus. Jesus has come. Luke's narrative is a wonderful story of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. When we read the Christmas story each year, it's meant to be more than a tradition, but a joyful reminder of God's fulfilled promises and his saving work for those he has called and loved. I, I want you to feel the love of God this morning. Oh, favored ones... It's impossible for us to save ourselves. But look what what Luke writes at the end of this in chapter 1. Because Mary is questioning all of this. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. The things that you asked to be prayed for today, the sins that you struggled with, the sicknesses that you bear, the sufferings that you experience, the discouragement that can overwhelm your life, nothing is impossible with God because you are favored ones of God. And as Isaiah tells us at the end of Luke 9, 7, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Brothers and sisters, God is still saving. And the work of the gospel powerfully continues on. Christmas is a time for us to remember not only what God has done for us, but what he will continue to do in others. This is the wonderful story of the good news. Let's commit today to have all of our Christmas celebrations be saturated with the gospel. That those who are not Christians today might celebrate Christmas with us next year. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the favor you give us. Thank you for being with us, for never leaving us nor forsaking us. Lord, thank you for promising that in your faithfulness and in in your zeal, you will come again and we will experience, we will experience the new Jerusalem and the new earth. 